Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that complains when you split goblins into two different deck archetypes in the Mythic Championship, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I am joined by the wandering bard herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I am doing good. It is really, really warm at the moment. It is like 28, degree, 28 degrees in the UK and I thought we were in the autumn, so I feel a little bit betrayed. <laughs> Yeah, it's very similar here, to be yeah. fair, yeah. Um, in terms of magic, I haven't done a huge amount. Uh, I've been skimming through Zendikar previews, which has been mm. exciting. In other news, I've finished Anna Blade Chronicles off, which is a cracking JRPG, which I recommend everyone should play. And I've started yes. Final Fantasy VII, the original one on the Switch. Oh. So, back on the Classic. Polygon, good life. <laughs> How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I've been all right. I have made, in magic, I've made a new commander deck, uh, Teshar, Ancestor's Apostle. So, Ooh. graveyard loops and value and all sorts. So, I like how it's a a it's a I know white deck, quote unquote, but it's just actually just full of artifacts. It's one of those it's sort fake. of it's fake yeah. mono white. Yeah, it's it's basically colorless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, I have been brewing for post rotation standard because Ooh. that looks to be pretty interesting. Landfall and the split lands and stuff as i'm sure we're going to talk about later in this episode they're going to be having a pretty big impact on the format i haven't really been playing standard for a long time but i think this shake-up is going to be a nice change that'll probably get me back into it so oh nice yeah outside of magic i've still been playing fall guys still have not been converting those wins but not for the want of trying anyway also started playing ftl it's like a small little game where you manage spaceship through space i mean where else <laughs> if i remember it's really unforgiving it's quite difficult yeah i quite like the challenge in difficult games like that not to say like oh i'm, I'm great you know get good scrub i just like knowing that if i've messed up it's because i didn't think of something at some point you know it's, it's on me to to get better at it you know but yeah it's good we should probably actually make this known. This episode is probably going to be a little shorter than usual and maybe a little more haphazard because uh, we're actually recording this on Tuesday the 15th. Normally, we record on the Sunday before the episode is released. And we did, but we actually had an issue with the original recording and I tried to edit it in like six or seven different ways and it didn't work. And I, we basically had to throw it all out. So we're actually redoing the entire episode from scratch here. So if this is slightly off compared to what we normally do um that's why and we're sorry and deal with it so (laughs) so yeah i guess we may as well just jump into the meat and bones of the episode we are talking zendikar cards zendikards if you will i like that (laughs) these are these are 10 cards that are starting to make some waves in the magic community some of them are uh, but they're all budget cards and they're all cards that are under five dollars most of them are uncommons actually and they're just Sweet cards that we think are going to show up somewhere in either Pioneer or Modern, or it might just be cool cards to pick up. With that said, we're going to start off our list with the first one, and this is an addition from Emma, very obviously. This is one that you were actually, you wrote about this week, is Ruin Crab. I did, yes. So Ruin Crab is one blue for a 0-3 crab with Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent mills three cards. What would you be doing with this now, Emma? Uh, if I was thinking, oh, you know, I fancy milling some people out, or as they say in Japan, they call it library destruction, which is a really <laughs> elegant way of putting it. I would slam this in Demir Mill faster than anything possible. Yeah. It doesn't replace Hedron Crab, because sometimes a self-mill can be relevant in some instances. But just having eight crabs 
that it can just go off with a field of ruin or your fetch lands. Um, yeah. just seems pretty powerful. And not to mention, Ruin Crab does not target, so it really gets around Leyline of Sanctity and Veil of Summer, which is huge for those kind of decks. That is pretty good, actually, yeah. Often Hexproof is one of the best ways to deal with Mill, and now there are Mill cards that just negate that, and that's really, really important. Yeah, for sure. It's not exciting. In, in terms of, like, Mono Blue Mill, you'd want this as well, because it, it, yeah. you do something very similar. And then Demir Mill wants this because it's just quicker way to milling. But yeah, it's, it's really sweet. Very flavourful, given that we're back on Zendikar and there's another Hedron Crab as well. Nice to see a new little crab friend. Mm. <laughs> this probably goes along nicely with Maddening Cacophony, the new one from Zendikar as well. Yeah, so Maddening Cacophony is, for a generic and a blue, you get a sorcery that has Kicker, which is free generic and a blue, so that is four altogether. And the spell reads, each opponent mills eight cards. If this spell was kicked, instead each opponent mills half their light be rounded up. In Mono Blue Mill, this is quite interesting because you don't have Glimpse the Unthinkable and even mm. now Glimpse the Unthinkable is becoming quite expensive. This is a yeah. really good placeholder on it and I don't anticipate this being more than a dollar rare at most just because it's yeah. really narrow in what it achieves. In most cases, you're not going to cast it for its kicker cost. Like just to mill someone for eight is really good. You can cast it off of Mission Briefing again and you can put it on top of your library with Mystic Sanctuary. So there, there is some leeway there. It's not exciting, but it's just a really good cheap alternative over Sanity Grinding, for example. Yeah, does good work. Mm. Next up, we have a favourite of mine, Salundi Vision. Two and a blue. For an instant, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. On the back of this is Salundi Isle, which is a land, enters the battlefield tapped, and taps to add blue. So you can put this down as either the instant or the land on the back, whatever takes your fancy at the time. This is a fantastic card. There's one place that I'm definitely going to be trying it immediately, jamming it in as a four of, and that's to replace four islands in Mono Blue Twiddlestorm, which is the deck that we did with our $100 Modern Colour Challenge for Blue. I'm not surprised you've gone with Twiddlestorm at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it should be just an automatic shoe-in, because one of the ways that that deck bricks is... It just draws a glut of lands and then it can't do anything and then you pass the turn and then your opponent untaps with all their creatures and they kill you. This helps mitigate that. Like sure, some of your lands are going to enter tapped instead sometimes, but it doesn't always need the same kind of setup that most of these sort of combo decks need anyway. Once you find your Lotus Field, you're going to be fine. You're, yeah. you're probably going to be able to go off and, and at least get some value out of it. And with these, probably help win the game. Yeah, and then in other decks... Like, I'd be happy to just run one or two of these in a couple of different decks just to help consistency. Mm. Maybe replace one spell and one land with two of these mm. in some, like, more spell-based decks. And I'd be pretty okay with that. Like, I, w I would probably jam two of these into Phoenix just because. I can know. see that. It seems pretty powerful, although it just reminds me that, that Impulse should just be reprinted. We're not going to get that, are we? <laughs> no. I'm actually kind of shocked that Impulse isn't in Modern. Yeah, same. Why is it not in Modern? We have Anticipate instead. We like, have Narset. We have Narset, yeah. Yeah. As the Mono Blue Tron player, I would love to have Impulse in Modern. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows, with Modern Horizons 2 next year, you could see Impulse into Modern. I'd be genuinely shocked if we didn't, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. We're getting off topic. The point is, this card is great. <laughs> Pick up four while you can. <laughs> yeah, when you they're can. currently around 20 cents in the US and about 10 cents in Europe. So there's no reason to not pick up these with uh, whatever change you have in the pocket. Mm, agreed. 
Next up, we have Feed the Swarm, which is one and a black sorcery that reads, destroy target creature or enchantment an opponent controls. You lose life equal to that permanence converted mana cost. Now, we have finally targeted black enchantment removal. What are your thoughts? Um, so in Pauper, this just seems like a slam dunk in mono black control, right? Oh, yeah. Again, it's not an exciting card, but it's just really interesting that they finally printed a black enchantment removal spell given the years of people just ribbing Mark Rosewater for it. <laughs> I can see this seeing some loose play in modern, like Death Shadow Cyborgs, for example, if you really mm. want to deal with any particular enchantment. The life yeah. loss is relevant as well because you want to grow your Death Shadows. But yeah, otherwise, it's just a really sweet card that I think, you know should just pick up a four of just because you're not going to get much black enchantment removal going forward i don't think this will be one of the very few if not only one yeah i think this could show up in sideboards for eight rack style decks as well sure because they run is it delirium skines out of the sideboard to help get around leyline of sanctity whereas this just gets leyline of sanctity instead Mm. Yeah, because a lot of the enchantment removal before was like sacrificing enchantment. Or like Farika's Libration is a recent example. But yeah, Yeah. this seems really, really sweet. For two mana, yeah, it's a sorcery, but it's removal in black. So it's going to be quite good, I think. That's it. And the difference between three and two mana in the likes of those like eight rack decks where they're running smallpox and everything, the chances of getting to three mana and then being able to use a libation is not super likely. And... The other options outside of that that the deck had was, what was it, Ratchet Bomb? Like, yeah. that's just so slow. It's slow and loose. Yeah. I'm looking forward to playing with this for sure. Yeah. And I'm definitely getting four of these for my Mono Black Control deck in Pauper. No yeah. doubt about it. <laughs> Next up, we have Archon of Amiria. Two and a white for a 2-3 Archon with flying. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn and non-basic lands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. So this is definitely one that you sneaked onto the list, that's for well, sure. Yeah, I'm sorry about <laughs> that, because, you know, being the is it, was it, and whatnot. Yeah. This card just seems really neat. Again, it's going to be very narrow in the decks that it can be used in, so mostly death and taxes. I think this is a really good inclusion for that deck. You don't mm. want four, because it's a really unique effect, and it doesn't get better in multiples, but I can easily see one of white death and taxes running two or three just as a way to leverage against greedy mana bases and strategies such as like Storm and Prowess, because it really hoses Prowess when you think about it. Yeah. And flying's quite important in death and taxes, because that's where you mostly mm. win your games, because you have a flicker wisp that's done some value, and you're just swinging in in the air. But yeah, this card seems really sweet. Yeah. I think it would be really good in death and taxes. I can't see it seeing much play elsewhere. Maybe in like devoted devastation sideboards as like a as a toolbox target, perhaps. But mm. mostly, I think death and taxes would be very interested in this. Could this potentially see play in maybe like a Azorius Flash kind of deck in maybe Pioneer? Perhaps. Because if you're playing one spell on your turn, one spell on their turn, you're kind of getting around that restriction. I think it will be better in Aethervile decks because you can obviously play more creatures because you have an Aethervile and your opponent doesn't. That's but fair. yeah, in, in like a spiritsy style blue-white flyers tempo deck, why not? I don't, I'm not too familiar with the Pioneer meta game because I keep forgetting Invert Retrieve with Band <laughs> and I should make more of an effort to have a look. But yeah, I can see even in just like cyborgs of just white based decks like white weenie maybe yeah. could want this it's it's weird in pioneer because the land bases aren't as greedy so i don't know how mm. that would fare there but in modern it just seems really really good i'd say in pioneer this might be good against say like the soul tide decks and stuff ones that run mm. a lot of like the triomes and the dual lands and 
run a total of, I think, like four basics or something. So Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have Zagras, Thief of Heartbeats. Four black red for a 4-4 legendary vampire rogue. And this spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. It also has flying, death touch, and haste. And other creatures you control have death touch. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. Now, this is the first time we've come across party and this, so we'll explain it very quickly. Party is a mechanic in Zendikar Rising. A full party consists of a warrior, a cleric, a rogue, and a wizard. This costs six mana as retail. And if you have a wizard and a cleric, let's say, when you're casting this, it will cost four mana instead. So I quite like this. I like this a lot. I think mm. if you're paying four mana for this, you're doing quite well. Absolutely. Again, I don't think this will see play in modern. However, I just want to play a Sorin Impervious Bloodlord minus <laughs> Sorin and just get this into play and just dome someone for four. Yeah. The fact that it can attack Planeswalkers, like Death Touch Planeswalker, is really nice. Yeah. All your ground creatures have Death Touch as well, so it just makes attacks and blocks really, really awkward for your opponent. Mm-hmm. I just really like the card. I think it's sweet. There is a red-black Vampire's deck in Pioneer that probably wants this. Absolutely. To be honest, when you have this much text on a card with the ability to reduce its cost, it's got to yeah. be good. As Jess Estefan once said, if the card doesn't have flavor text, it must be really, really good. And I don't think she's wrong. <laughs> I'm yet to see a card that I'm not convinced by that, yeah. Yeah, see Urza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see this being good. Honestly, I think this is the way that Death Touch should just be anyway. Agreed. Something with Death Touch deals damage to a Planeswalker, just kill it. Yeah. They might be super powerful Planeswalkers, but they're still people. They're still going to die to death. Yeah, it's not not like the spark negates any sort of death, does it? Because Gideon died, so obviously that's a bit of a flavour fail now, isn't it? So So I know we don't talk about standard a whole lot on here, but I actually think this could be very good in standard because if you manage to get a 4-4 flying haste for 4 mana, Mm. we're talking about like Glorybringer kind of territory there. Like Rankle is like the closest thing, that's a 4 mana 3-3 that flies with haste. Mm. And even then you have this modular thing, so it doesn't always feel good for you. But this just just feels great. And, you know, it flies over Uro, which is huge. Yeah. Next up, we have another one from yourself, Emma. Fireblade Charger. Just one red mana for a 1-1 Goblin Warrior. And as long as Fireblade Charger is equipped, it has haste. But whenever Fireblade Charger dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. So it feels like you have a specific home in mind for this. Yep. I'm thinking Boris Hammer in modern. (laughs) One issue that Boris Hammer can struggle with is having an early threat. So the curve tends to go from two onwards, because a lot of the good creatures are better when they're equipped with the hammer. Fireblade Charge is just a really good threat. It's a one-mana one-one. It gets haste if you manage to equip a hammer onto it, and if someone manages to remove it, you deal the power, so the power of the charger, with the hammer to any target. And that just Mm. feels really, really good. It's just a really good way to mitigate the two for ones which boris hammer can struggle with at times yeah fair it's a cool goblin and yeah i just think it's really really sweet i'd probably want to run the whole four because you can run some other equipment as well like it wears a sword quite well as well when you think about it so yeah but yeah boris hammer also the new nahiri can fit quite well in boris hammer as like a sideboard option i mentioned Mm. it in a tcg article this week which i recommend you reading if you want to see some zendikar brews as well yeah absolutely Mm. I gotta play some Boros Hammer. I'm yet to play any. It's so good. It's just infect, but fun. Now that I could get behind. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. Next up, we have got a card that I actually talked about in my article this week, which it's live two days now on Card Kingdom. Go have a look. Budget pickups for Pioneer and Modern. Yeah, that was it. Anyway, Balaged Recovery is one of the cards I talk about here. It is two and a green for sorcery. Return target card from your graveyard to your hand. And on the back is Balaged Sanctuary, which is a land. Enters the battlefield tapped and taps to add green. So... If you're running green, I don't see why you would not run at least one of these in, say, Pioneer, for example. Mm. It's so good. This card is great. It might have a little bit of tension with, like, Pulsar Marasa, which is legal in Pioneer, if you really want that life gain. But if you're really okay. interested in hitting your land drops, then Balagave Recovery is really good. I'm a big fan of having a regrowth effect in my sideboard just to outgrind. Mm. A lot of people choose to play Eternal Witness and Modern as their option, but I really stuff, I really enjoy stuff like Balagave Recovery... Like regrowth, that's modern legal now. A lot of people have forgotten because it was in modern horizons. And even stuff like Unearth is really good. I'd be happy to jam one of these in a sideboard, like in a Bogle sideboard, for example. Bogles might not be the best example, but you get what I mean. You have the option just to play a tap land if you don't need it. So it's Mm. not always terrible. Whereas with Pulse of Marasa, you might not need the life gain as much. So it's very situational. But I think this card's really good. I will be playing it in Commander, though. So. Oh, yeah. When it comes to cards like Pulse of Marasa, I have an aversion to playing them because I often feel like I'm not going to fulfill the criteria for this to actually be a live card in my deck. Mm. That is kind of the fear that I have with cards like that. Whereas with this, like you'll always need lands. You will always, always need lands. And particularly in like mid-range decks and stuff, this will help you hit your land drops. And then in the late game, if you top deck one of these, your graveyard is now just a, a toolbox. You just take whatever you want and just go from there. You can pull back a, a Planeswalker, you can pull back a Nissa or a Hydro Crisis or a whatever and just go from there. Like this is so good. Mm. And honestly, I would not be surprised to see some of the slower, grindier decks in modern run like one of this in the main just have it there sometimes you don't have to do anything on turn one and you just play this and it's fine but then late game like you said graveyard turns into a toolbox so maybe somewhere like Saltai midrange could want this just to get Nero mm-hmm. back into your hand and recast it and just generate this value could be a good way to go could be yeah mm. next up we have got spike field hazard a single red mana for an instant Spikefield Hazard deals one damage to any target if a permanent dealt damage this way would die this turn exile it instead and on the back, we have Spikefield Cave, which is a land, enters the battlefield tapped, and taps to add red. You're a big oh. fan of this card, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, this is my jam. People have looked at this and gone, oh, one damage, really? I'm like, listen, you don't know how much use you can get out of a single point of damage. It can absolutely be the difference between winning and losing a game. This can be used to take out a low-loyalty Planeswalker. It can be enough to keep them off of ultimating for a turn or whichever. It can be used post-combat to finish off a creature. My favorite use for this, when an opponent casts an Uro and the sacrifice triggers on the stack, just poke Uro with this and it will exile when it's sacrificed. That is such a good use of this card. The fact that it also exiles means that, say, in Pioneer, we do see a little bit of stuff like Elspeth Conquers Death. So exiling creatures and planeswalkers to prevent them from coming back from ECD is really, really good. And then it's also a land on the back. So one of the places that I'm looking forward to playing this and surprise to absolutely nobody is Phoenix. I'm going to jam a bunch of these in here. Why? Because Phoenix in Pioneer is not the same deck that it was in Modern. It's much slower. It's much more controlling. Sometimes you're just fine with throwing in a tap land on turn one. 
like there's no big deal to it but this will kill like a young pyromancer or a land war elves or even in modern it'll take out dark confidants or eternal witnesses or snapcasters there's so many targets for it i'm very big on i this. think this card's really good i cannot good. wait for my playset i don't think it goes into like mono red prowess and modern for example because i think you just have got shot instead if you want that yeah. kind of effect but it kind of depends on the meta game right if you're seeing a lot of recursion so stuff like uro stuff like dredge and a couple of spiker hazards might be the way to go i'm for a big sure. fan of magma spray-esque effects especially in standard just given you know right. that standards ruined by error at the moment i yeah i'm definitely looking forward to this card it's gonna be very nice Next, we have Skyclave Apparition. One white white for a 2-2 core spirit that reads, When Skyclave Apparition enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less. And when Skyclave Apparition leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. First thought for this is spirits, because it's a spirit and it's yeah. removal, so that's nice. But this could probably fit in a lot of different places, right? Mm, I know Fiend Hunter doesn't see a lot of play in modern anyway, mm. but I think you just play this instead. Oh, yeah. It's more versatile, and the fact that they get a token at the end of it is normally fine in a lot of mm. cases because you have so many ways to deal with it. And you can just exile the token if you have another one. Mm. I do like this in spirits, however, it doesn't fly which can be a bit of an yeah. issue because a lot of people assume all spirits fly. So just be careful if you are playing with this that it doesn't fly and you don't want to lose the creature just because you have this automated thought that, oh yeah, all spirits fly. Not in this case. No. I think this card's great. Again, I mentioned Devoted Devastation earlier. It could be a really cool toolbox option just to break up the board, yeah. get rid of a threat. And it's non-land permanent as well, so it can just deal with like a Graph Digger's Cage or some kind of hate card. It's just a really versatile answer. Yeah. I like this a lot. I can see this being used in mono white taxes mm -hmm. because being able to flicker this is so powerful. So yeah. this has the Fiend Hunter text box style. More recent cards used to have it all as one trigger. So it says like when it enters the battlefield, exile, target, non-land, permanent, you don't control until this leaves the battlefield. But because this has a separate enters and leaves the battlefield trigger, if the Enter the Battlefield triggers on the stack, you can flicker it with, say, like a Flicker Wisp that's vialed in or the Eldrazi that flickers. The name escapes me right now. Eldrazi Displacer. Displacer, that's the one. You can flicker it and they'll get a 0-0 zero, zero because no card was exiled yet. And then the permanent will be exiled forever as well. That's pretty sweet. And then being able to flicker that repeatedly to just constantly deal with any problem that your opponent plays down, like that's really, really powerful. I'm on board with that. Yeah, I didn't even consider Death and Taxes, to be honest. That's a really cool flicker wish target. Mm. Big fan. Yeah. The final card on our list is Malakir Rebirth. A single black mana for an instant. Choose target creature. You lose two life. Until end of turn, that creature gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control. And it has Malakir Mire on the back, which is a land, enters the battlefield tapped, and taps to add black. This is sweet. This is a really cool card. Mm. In the scope of modern, I can't see it seeing much play. However, there could be like a budget Death Shadow build that could want this as a way to rebuy Death Shadows at instant speed, and you lose mm. the two life, so that's a pretty neat interaction to go with it. Yeah. I definitely see this showing up a lot in Standard. I can see it showing up in Historic as well. 
But I can also see it showing up in Pioneer because the further back you go, the more options you have for something like a Mono Black Sacrifice or Aristocrat style deck. In Pioneer, you have stuff like Zulapur Cutthroats and you can play like a Mono Black Luris deck using Zulapur yeah. Cutthroats and the Cat Oven Combo and all sorts. And being able to use Malakir Rebirth to make sure that you can keep your Luris around to get that value is really nice. But it also makes sure that you hit your land drops but it also allows you to get back other creatures for value as well. And then when you take into account other things like Call of the Death Dweller and stuff as well, the redundancy is ridiculous. And a lot of these are still just available in standard as well. So like this will stretch across formats, I think. It's not going to be like game altering, but it just adds that extra little bit of redundancy to these kind of decks. And we have seen these cards before. There's been like supernatural stamina and that kind of thing. But it hasn't also been a land. And a lot of them haven't also been one mana. And they haven't always been instants either. Like two life is very little to pay for this kind of effect to then also have a land on the back, I think. Especially if you're going to run it in cat oven where you're gaining loads of life anyway. The two life is just not going to matter at all. And even in modern, the two life's not going to matter because we fetch shock all the time. And it's it's just part of the plan, isn't it? Like a lot of people fought seeds for two life. So it's in that affordable life range. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus, Luris has lifelink. He does. Mm. Oh, she does. (laughs) I think it's a she. Yeah, that checks. That makes sense. Yeah. Because they got that little cute little baby Luris in the background. I like to yeah. think Luris is the actual little baby and not the big cat, but that's just <laughs> me. We were going to talk about the rare land cycle here, but we did actually go through it last week. If you want to check out our opinions on those, you can listen to last week's episode. But to sum it up, they're really, really good. And they're going to be great in multiple formats. Buy them while they're cheap. We are a big fan of them, aren't we? Oh yeah, big time. All right. So they were the 10 cards that we wanted to have a quick chat about. Next, we do have a question, though, I believe, Emma. We do. So cool. this question is from Jonas off on Twitter, mm-hmm. and they ask, what do you think about cleansing wildfire as a sideboard option in the prowess variant in modern? For those that don't know what cleansing wildfire does, for a generic and a red, you get a sorcery, and it says destroy target land. It's controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle their library, and you get to draw a card. What do you think, mm-hmm. Scott? We were actually going to talk about the card on our list, only we realised that we were going to be talking about it in this question, so we decided to just sort of pop it down here. So, yeah, I like the card. I think it's probably going to have its biggest impact in modern over places like Pioneer and that kind of thing. It depends on what you're going to use it for. Like, you don't really want to be using this against Tron, for example. You don't want to be boarding out your bolts in order to fit this, because bolts just kill Tron. So, As a Tron pilot, the best way to deal with a Tron player is to attack their life total. Mono Red Prowess, in particular, has an incredible matchup against Tron and Amulet Titan. You can go under them so quickly before they can deploy the Time Free Khan, and you're like, sweet, I'm just going to kill you. Like, it doesn't matter most of the time. If I was playing Mono Red Prowess, I would not be running these myself. Why would I bring cards in for a matchup that's already really, really good? I should be using my Mm. cyborg to focus on the matchups I'm not good at. However, Mm -hmm. I can see the thought process just because it's a really interesting land destruction spell. It's essentially Path to Exile for lands is one way to look at it and you get a draw card off it. I can see the temptation. Yeah, there are certain things that would push me to put it into prowess decks. If you're seeing a lot of Jund or Death Shadow... Sure, because anything with a low basic land count, I think, would be quite good because there comes a point where it just becomes a two-mana stone rain. Mm -hmm. 
but you'd have to really, really know what you're up against and kind of figure out whether they're on a stock list or not or they've changed it around. Yeah. I think that's the only time I can see it. I'm not a fan of putting Blood Moon in the sideboard of the prowess decks. I'm more talking about mono red prowess here now, specifically. When it comes to, say, like the Rakdos prowess decks and stuff, you've got a lot of interaction anyway to fight on multiple different axes. Like you have the access to Thoughties and Cling to Dust and all that sorts of stuff. So you can fight more effectively against the Uro decks and that kind of thing. But if you're mono red, I would be putting this into the sideboard over Blood Moon. Like if you are putting Blood Moon in your sideboard, probably take them out and put in these instead. Because like I said, you shouldn't be bringing in Blood Moon to deal with Tron and Titan as Emma said there, you should be bringing them in to deal with the greedier mana-based decks, like the Wilderness Reclamation decks, the Uro decks, that kind of thing. These are generally kind of better because they have a tendency to play a lot of Shocklands or a couple of Triumphs and that kind of thing. And if you could take them off a of colour while still maintaining card velocity on your side, while it's also cheaper to cast than a Blood Moon, so you might be able to do this, say, on turn two, cast a lava spike to the face and then attack with your creatures like that's a much better line of play than waiting until turn three playing a blood moon and then attacking with you know two creatures that have an additional point of damage from prowess from the blood moon or something like that is definitely closer to what i would want to be doing it could go in the sideboard of the rakdos ones as well but the matchups are definitely better Mm. than the red ones it depends on what kind of prowess you're running and it depends on what you're coming up against basically I have a counter question. What do you think about mm-hmm. this in Pauper? Because I just realised it's a common. Yeah, I was actually going to bring this up. Uh... Yeah. I thought it was an uncommon because I'm like, this is a lot for a card to do. The power level just seemed to reflect uncommon, but it's a common. Mm-hmm. This is Pauper legal. This is pretty huge. Well, yes, sort of. (laughs) Essentially, the problem that I have with this is that people see this, right? To people that don't know what's going on in in Pauper at the moment, Tron reigns supreme. And I'm not convinced that this is enough, to be honest. Tron in Pauper is a very different deck. It's a control deck that looks to lock you out by flickering Stonehorn Dignitary multiple times and basically not giving you combat anymore. And the majority of the format is combat focused because creatures are the best things to be doing for the most part a lot of the decks that would be using red say like burn probably doesn't care because again just bolt their face it's fine monarch would probably run this like the boros monarch decks Mm. they'll probably run it because they don't have a good matchup against tron at all so this might at least help it could give them some edge because they're all about keeping card velocity going Delver has an insane matchup against Tron anyway. They pretty much won't dedicate any sideboard slots to them other than maybe a couple of like Hydroblasts to deal with their Pyroblasts and that kind of thing. Mm. I'm personally not convinced. If we were to get like a Rakdos mid-range deck, I would see it in there, I think. But outside of maybe the Boros Monarch deck, I'm not convinced. But as someone that hates Tron in Pauper, I would love to be proven wrong. I also hate Tron in Pauper because I play <laughs> Bogles and yeah. I need combat steps. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the BMcast on Twitter, search for Budget Magic Cast on SoundCloud, and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budgetmagicast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.